I'm Megan French Dunbar, co-founder and CEO of Conscious Company Media, and welcome to World Changing Women. Each week, we interview some of the most badass female founders in the world to get their insights on how they've built game-changing companies that actually have a positive impact on the world. Our hope here is to inspire and help people of all backgrounds who feel like starting a business or chasing their dream is out of their reach to reconsider. We'll hear the good, the bad, and sometimes even the ugly of what it takes to start and build something incredible. And we hope that every episode will leave you inspired, hopeful, and with practical tips that will help you along your journey. Welcome to World Changing Women. The dirty little secret of purpose, though, is it only works if there is enormous authenticity behind it. As co-founder and chief purposeologist, yes, you heard that right, purposeologist of the Purpose Institute, Haley Rushing helps organizations and individuals find their true purpose in this world. It's work that she came to after working in the advertising space for much of her career and realizing that the companies that she loved working with were the ones that had an authentic purpose. So she left the ad world behind and jumped into a new career focusing on purpose. On this episode, Haley will walk us through the basics of finding your purpose, as well as discuss the importance of taking care of yourself along the way. You're a co-founder of the Purpose Institute, but what I wanted to understand was a little bit about your journey and where you were in your life before you co-founded the Purpose Institute. Well, sure. Well, it's a total pleasure to be here and be talking with you. And I'm I'm so um, in awe of what you've created and the advocacy around purpose that you've championed in your role through Conscious Company Magazine. So thank you so much for having me, first off. And um yeah, so how did I come to co-found the Purpose Institute? I start and become a purposeologist. I get that a lot. My my background is actually in cultural anthropology. And so I always was fascinated by the study of human behavior and how people ascribe meaning to the things in their life. And particularly, I, I looked at the culture of consumption, and that had always been super interesting to me. So the my background in cultural anthropology had led me to the field of account planning. And account planning was a was a basically um, the social sciences were brought into the advertising agency and marketing world to really study consumer behavior and understand why people would buy certain brands over the others and really help in the strategic process to build brands that actually meant something in people's lives. And so um, that was what I was doing. I was a director of account planning at an agency called GSDNM based in Austin, Texas. It's a great ad agency. It had clients like Southwest Airlines and the Air Force and John Deere and the American Red Cross and a lot of uh, accounts that it felt really great to work on those. I could take everything that I'd learned in my cultural anthropology background, do really interesting ethnographic work to find out how people were using those brands, what difference they made in their life, and then um, really create strategic platforms to help those story, to help those companies build their brands in pretty powerful ways using our creativity to kind of tell their story. But then we also, there's also just like with any ad agency, you also have other clients where it didn't necessarily feel so great to work on those clients. Like they, they, uh, and it was often the case that instead of using our creativity to kind of help tell a company story, we were using our creativity, honestly, to like make something up that would be palatable about this organization. Like how do we, 
get inside the minds of the consumers, find some deep, meaningful insight, look at some cultural trends, um, look at some opportunities in the marketplace, and basically create a, brand, a viable brand positioning for an, for an organization. And it was kind of a disembodied process where we really didn't spend that much time inside the organization. It was, let's go out and figure out what a brand opportunity for this company might be, and then hope hope that it sticks in some kind of meaningful way. But pretty early on, it felt very, very different. It felt like in your bones different, at least for me, to work with Southwest Airlines or to work with Whole Foods or to work with really um, uh, extraordinary brands and organizations that were genuinely making a difference in people's lives than it did when we were working with other kinds of clients that really had similar products to everybody else in their category and just needed an ad agency to help them say it in a more breakthrough or interesting way. For me, that didn't feel very good. And anyway, at some point, Roy Spence, who's one of the founders of GSDNM, came to me and he was like, let's look at why, if we look at our roster of clients at GSDNM, we have some of these brands that are completely beloved brands in people's lives and other brands that we're using the exact same creativity that we're using, you know, our creative process across the board, but they're not generating the kind of uh, breakthrough and performance that others are. And so it did not take long from that exploration to arrive at the conclusion that the reason certain brands were absolutely essential in people's lives, beloved in people's lives, had loyal raving fans was but was precisely because they had a deeper purpose beyond making money. And they usually also had values-based cultures um, that felt great to work in. So you could actually feel when you walked into the, those organizations, just a level of vitality and energy um, that was super unique and, and felt great. So um, what I'd say is like, we, we ended up writing a, a book about the difference. It was called, It's Not What You Sell, It's What You Stand For, where we really shared everything that we'd learned from really the just great fortune and good luck of having had extraordinary mentors like Herb Kelleher at Southwest Airlines and even Sam Walton at Walmart and Don Mackey at Whole Foods and just extraordinary visionary leaders who had paid the price to create organizations that made a difference. And as an agency partner, we were just able to use our creativity to tell their stories and make sure that people knew what those organizations were trying to do in the world. So the Purpose Institute actually came about because when the book was launched, it was uh, fortunately it did really well. And we had more people read the book and call us up and say, I don't really need an ad agency. I've got a great ad agency partner. What I need is help with that purpose and values thing. We That's a little... That's a little um, foggy for us. So could you help us with that? So we had the book as a platform that generated enormous interest in the marketplace that gave us, gave me the confidence to say, I think we need to start a separate entity to help organizations really think about their purpose and values. And, and just contextually, when was this? This was back in 1990. What year are we? We're 2019. <laughs> <laughs> this would have been in 2008, I think, or 2000. The book came out in, in uh, 2006. 
And so by 2008, I guess it was about two years, we were doing purpose projects already within the, the crucible of GSDNM. So we had that kind of lovely safety net um, behind us while, while we would take on purpose projects. But there was just such momentum from the book that by, by early within um, 2008, we started the Purpose Institute. And the the book that you guys actually wrote, I'm so curious, was that kind of a side project for both of you or did you do that as part of your work? Um, I would say, I mean, it preceded the Purpose Institute. It was literally born of the lessons learned from having been in the, for Roy, I mean, he's a absolute pioneer in the advertising space, um, total visionary, brilliant, creative force. And so part of it was capturing what are the lessons that, uh, that we've learned from 20 years, or in his case, 40 years in advertising, in my case, 20 years in advertising that we can share with the world about how to build great brands, that great brands, as much as it hurt our feelings to say so, uh, it's, are not necessarily the products of just a great ad agency. Great brands are great brands because they have visionary leaders that actually created business models that actually make a real positive, impactful difference in the lives of the people that they serve. And so it felt like something that needed to be written is slightly different than a lot of branding books that were out at the time. And a lot of, um, so much of um, at least brand strategy and brand positioning work to that date had been much more outside in. Let's find the consumer trend, the consumer insight, the blue space or the white space. um, And then we'll ascribe that insight or that space back to the brand. And I always felt like that was putting putting a brand on like like putting up wallpaper with water it just kind of peels off because there are no like legitimate deep roots back inside the organization so purpose based branding which is how how we first thought of it was a complete 180 degree flip it was in, entirely based on an inside out process where we got inside of an organization. I spent as much time interviewing people inside the company, employees, uh, vendor partners, suppliers, um, about what made those people inside that company come to life and what was their aspiration and ambition for making a difference in people's lives. And then we'd find how that naturally intersected with a need that we knew existed in the marketplace. But it was all emanated from a genuine desire that the people inside the company had to use their talents, their resources, their wherewithal um, to make some specific, well-articulated difference in the lives of the people they serve. Mm, I love it. Um, So it's 2008 and you guys have written this book, you're getting a lot of interest and this idea for the Purpose Institute comes about. Can you talk to us a little bit about just how you made the leap from going from ad agency to kind of starting your own thing and what gave you the courage to do that? Well, um, there were a couple of things. I mean, we had the good fortune of having the runway within GSDNM. So we kind of slowly evolved our brand positioning process to be kind of a more purposeful process where we where we would insist on doing as much research inside the organization as we would in the marketplace. And so we had a lot of those projects under our belt. We had lots of case studies under our belt. Um, when the book came out in 2006, we had, like as I said, so many inquiries of saying, look, I don't do, need an ad agency. So we were kind of having to take on projects outside of the agency Um, model, which was, they were more than willing to figure out how to do that. But 
there just came an obvious point where there was enough work, enough interest that it didn't really even feel like a leap of faith was necessary. It felt like it just is the universe wants this and needs this. And so uh, let's go ahead and step on into that. And then I would say the other thing that I think was really, for me, was really important to step outside the agency world and set it up as a consulting firm focused exclusively on purpose was I, I was, there is a potential risk that if you do this purpose work from inside an agency environment, um, people can misinterpret it as a branding exercise as just kind of, and I think, unfortunately, I think that's happened a lot to date is that there's a lot of, um, I guess, brand positioning firms and identity brand identity firms who are now calling what they have traditionally done purpose. And if it doesn't emanate from inside the organization, it really is just kind of a a newfangled version of positioning and it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't drive the business like it needs to. So part of, part of what I love about separating and starting the Purpose Institute was we put an end to the misperception that this was a branding and marketing thing. It certainly influences your marketing and advertising, but it has, in order for it to be effective, it needs to be much um, bigger than that. And so the Purpose Institute, our primary client are the C-level executives of the organizations that we're working with. We typically almost always have the CEO or one of the, an executive sponsor of the organization um, lead this work. And I, I honestly, I was, I was thinking about this earlier today, like in the last, I don't know, 10 years of doing the purpose work, I can only think of maybe, maybe one or two times when the chief marketing officer was the sponsor of this work. Almost always it was the chief executive officer. Sometimes it's the chief sustainability officer. Often it's the chief people officer. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's, it's a use. It was a useful thing to do in terms of making sure that it was crystal clear that for purpose to be effective, it has to be an leader led organization wide um, commitment. So can you walk us through a little bit? I mean, obviously, this is a, a very large topic, but just when you get these CEOs or these leaders, what is a bit of the process that you walk through with them to help them find their purpose? Um, sure. And I will also say, just as a slight precursor to that, when we were at the ad agency, we were often having to kind of persuade our clients that building their brand based on having a higher purpose was the way to go. And sometimes they were receptive and sometimes they just kind of patted us on the head and said, well, if that's your branding process, then you do that. <laughs> so one nice thing about having a company called the Purpose Institute is the only people that ring a dingus are people who have already come to some conclusion that purpose is they want to be a purpose-led organization. So we're we're not in the business of trying to convince anyone necessarily that this is the way to be. I actually would much prefer someone who's already gone through their own epiphany, their own evolution to, to realize the value of being purpose-led and then and then call us uh, and then we'll help them. Because it's just, uh, there's too many, uh, the good news is there's so many organizations out there that kind of 
um, are on the purpose journey and want to use their businesses as forces for good, that I, I would, I, I'm much more interested in working in partnership with stewarding those good intentions than I am trying to convince people that just aren't there yet. And that's fine. Like they're, 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 everybody has their own journey. But so the first thing is, I would say when so someone has, the leaders of an organization have to have arrived at their own sense of the necessity and the desire for purpose in order for any of this work to be effective. Once they're there, then we have a pretty well-honed process for helping an organization think about their purpose. We always start with, it's essentially three phases where we start with the leaders of an organization. First phase is leadership visioning, and it's usually just in-depth interviews with the leaders of the organization to get their collective sense of what they're trying to do in the world. Second phase is perspective gathering from a much broader um, collection of stakeholders, highly engaged internal stakeholders. And internal stakeholders, probably first and foremost, the employees. And we always say purposely bias this work with your most engaged employees. You want the people who you want more of, who are like lit up about coming to work. They love what they do. They find it gratifying and rewarding. And you want to find out what is it about them that makes them so vested in in their work and makes them love what they do so much. And then uh, we also love to talk with suppliers and vendors who know them really well, community stakeholders who have opened their arms and welcomed an organization into their community. You really want to talk to the fans the most during that perspective gathering phase. And then the third phase, we call it the reality check. And that's where you actually check in with your external stakeholders, whom you're ostensibly serving. So most cases, it's the customer. So by the time you've gone through the first two phases and kind of have a really good sense of what is the ambition of this organization in terms of the difference they want to make, then you go talk to customers and get a sense of, are they making that difference or are they making an even bigger difference that they themselves had not appreciated? Um, and if it turns out that the customer says, you know, they're they're not making that difference at all, that, that doesn't mean it's the wrong purpose. It just means they have a lot of work to do. So it kind of shows you that the gap that needs to be closed in order for you to to realize your purpose in a more meaningful way. So that's in a in a real high level the 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 steps that we go through to arrive at a purpose that's hopefully super authentic. And usually by the time we're revealing it, um, Megan, like the the people should be able to see their fingerprints all over it. It shouldn't be like, huh, I never thought of that before. <laughs> a super crystal clear articulation of everything that's been implicitly animating their very best people. And we've, we've, we've articulated it and captured it in a super clear statement so that it can be done explicitly and intentionally going, going forward. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, so I, I want to kind of stay on this uh exploration of purpose a little bit and what is one thing that you're seeing people get wrong when it comes to purpose well i would say this is a it's a hard one because it's hard to read someone's motivation but i would say there there's a lot of well-intentioned people who have read the harvard business review articles they've read the jim collins work they've read raj sasodia's work they've read conscious capitalism and they are firm believers in the the efficacy of purpose to drive performance. The trick to, I, I kind of call it the, the dirty little secret of purpose though, is it only works if there is 
enormous authenticity behind it. So what I mean, like if, if you're only engaging in it because you think, well, in 18 months, I'll get a great ROI on this, or, you know, I guess I'll do this to appease my people and those millennials who seem to want purpose. So go, somebody go find out what our purpose is and then let's roll it out as if you were working <laughs> out some kind of HR policy or something. It, it's not going to work. So I, I think about the the leaders that I've had the good fortune of working with. If you think about John Mackey at Whole Foods or Steve Ells at Chipotle, or even Roy got to work in the trenches with Sam Walton at Walmart. These were people who so thoroughly believed in their purpose of their organization and what they were trying to do and the impact that they were trying to make. They didn't need a survey to tell them <laughs> what their purpose was. They wouldn't have cared less if somebody else also had their purpose. They would be like, great, I'm glad if someone else has the similar purpose because I'm so for what I'm for that I want other people in the tribe trying to affect that same change. So I would say probably one of the biggest um it's 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 not a problem. I feel like most people are well-intentioned, but it's the thing the hopefully in the course of the process of going through the purpose discovery, if you if you aren't clear on the thing that you're fired up about, the process will make you fired up about it. Like I, I just worked with a huge, huge apparel organization. And when we actually got in there and talked to the people about what they loved about their their work. It was all about the active lifestyles that the apparel actually facilitated. It wasn't the products themselves. It was the lifestyle, the being outdoors, the enabling people to pursue their passions that actually people said, that's why I got in this business. And that's why I love this business or working for this brand. And so the ability to actually remind people of why they were attracted to the business in the first place and articulate it in a way that they could get out of, in this case, get out of the apparel business and into the active lifestyle movement business just brought like a enormous, um, passion to the business that had was there, but it was there kind of under the radar. It was there um, um, lurking just in the hearts of people in the company and hadn't really been drawn out and, and articulated. So uh, that's a way of saying, I guess what I'm trying to say is it has to be real. Even if it's, even if you don't know what it was at the, is at the start of the process, if the process is done well and you really are getting inside and uncovering and unearthing the thing about the business that lights people up, that they find meaningful and important, and then it's embraced authentically, that's, that's, that's great. But that's one of the things where every once in a while I can get in with an, an organization, I can tell they're just doing it because maybe they had a board that heard that said they needed to do it or they read Larry Fink's letter to CEOs saying they needed a purpose. So it, it all of a sudden got put on their to-do list. And it's just not going to work if that's the only reason they're doing it is out of like compliance or because they feel like they have to. So I'm hoping that we could uh, kind of maybe go from the organizational level down to the individual level, if possible. I, there, you know, we have so many folks who show up at our events and kind of reach out to us who feel directionless or purposeless. Uh, there's kind of this uh, idea right now, you know, of course, a lot with millennials and the younger generations that they need to like find their personal purpose and pursue it with everything they have. Uh, but for those individuals out there who actually feel purposeless uh, or like they're kind of stuck in their careers and they don't really know what to do, is there anything that you would recommend to them in terms of kind of first steps? 
Sure. I think the principles of purpose apply to both organizations as well as individuals. And one of the simplest tools that we use to help organizations or or people, friends, my daughters, myself, kind of think about their purpose is what we call the purpose Venn. So imagine a Venn diagram, the three intersecting circles. And in one circle is your as think about your strengths. What are you built to do? Like, what are you literally like genetically encoded to do and be great at? Uh, what are you passionate about? What are those things that just absolutely light you up that uh, you just thoroughly enjoy doing? You almost lose yourself in it when you're doing it. And then the third circle, it would be meaningful impact. Like as you think about the needs of the world, the problems that exist in the world, how could you harness your strengths and your passions to actually contribute to making a positive impact on something that needs addressing in the world. So put a little more simply, there's what are you built to do? What do you love to do? And what does the world need you to do? And at the intersection of those three things is where you start to see a purpose naturally arise. And just to kind of bring this down to a, a level that feels, makes it more sense. Like I, I might love to sing, but Singing is not my strong point. I have no vocal chops for it. So the world does not need to hear that. So that is <laughs> for me. So that is, that is my hobby that I do in the shower and when I'm working in the yard. Um, I have a daughter named Ziggy who is naturally gifted in uh, science and math. And she's in seventh grader and she's doing physics and chemistry and calculus and all kinds of stuff. And certainly the world needs more women in the STEM fields. However, currently it brings her no joy. She never comes home like excited about cracking the code on some calculus problem. She never, she doesn't get light, lit up about that stuff in any way, shape or form that I've ever seen. So even though she's good at it and the world needs it, I don't want her to spend her life doing something that doesn't bring her joy. So the, 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 trick is <laughs> to find the perfect harmony of those three things. And for, for me personally, I'm, I, one of my strengths is I have the ability to listen to an enormous or look at an enormous amount of data and kind of get to what's essential. I can, I can get to what, what, is, what is the essential thing in the midst of all of this data. And I love doing research. I'm super passionate about trying to, trying to help uh, people live lives of significance and meaning. I find there's nothing worse than a, a, a life that isn't well spent using your talents to do something that you care about and that the world needs. And then, uh, you know, I think the world <laughs> the world needs purpose-driven organizations. In my case, I work with organizations who uh, um, are using their power and influences and resources to change things for the better. So, um, that's what I would say. I mean, I, I do that work organizationally. I'm trying to find the connective tissue and the common threads across thousands of people that would answer those three circles. But certainly for an individual, I think it's it's equally um, um, applicable. Mm, thank you for that. Um, so shifting gears just a little bit, um, you actually gave an incredible keynote at our Conscious Company Leaders Forum in April of this year. And you talked through this concept uh, you know, of us, all of us wonderful purpose-driven business leaders out here uh, having this propensity to want to save the world every day and potentially not savoring the world or focusing a little bit more on doing everything rather than being. And I, I just found it 
to be unbelievably powerful. And so I was hoping you could talk to us a little bit about kind of some of the insights that have come from that talk for you and how that's kind of playing out in your life right now. Well, I'm glad you asked me about that. It's a really interesting topic for me personally. To I, I've only been really playing around with this I, this idea of the relationship between doing and being in the last six months. So I, I'll apologize in advance if my um, thinking is a little muddied <laughs> as I share this with you. But um, yeah, I there, I came across this quote from E.B. White. It's the you kind of referenced it there, where he said, um, "Every day I wake up." not knowing whether to save the world or to savor it, which makes it hard to plan the day. But if I don't uh, stop and savor the world, what possible reason would I have for saving it? And I love, I love that because it starts to explain the necessity of savoring the world. Like if you don't stop and savor the world and attend to the, attend to what I call your being and just experience the beauty and wonder of the world exactly as it is. Uh, it's, it does seem almost ridiculous to think about just getting up and throwing yourself back into the day, going a hundred miles an hour. Like there is something enormously generative and powerful about savoring the world and taking time to attend to your being, um, even in the midst of great doing. And I think that the topic came, came about because I was asked to speak at a conference where the theme was the fierce urgency of now. And I think the initial expectation was that I would be speaking to these this group of conscious leaders about the fierce urgency of stepping up and addressing the problems facing the world and make it a real kind of call to call to arms about even more action that needs done. And at the time I was asked to give that speech, I was personally thoroughly exhausted and the thought of calling people calling on people to do more people whom I knew were already doing a lot just just made me um made my heart hurt I was just like this there I can't possibly ask people to do more I, I if I did any more I will collapse <laughs> so that that personal experience of what is what is going on I'm doing super meaningful work it's work that needs to be done, and yet I'm exhausted and weary to the bone, and I'm losing the joy and the satisfaction that comes from doing meaningful work because I, my being, my being, you know, my interior essence feels like it has been completely sacrificed in the name of all this great doing. And so I, it's something I hadn't appreciated when I started this work, that, that being purpose-driven um, when you are really purpose driven, it can take every ounce of energy and blood and sweat and tears that you have because you do care about it so deeply. And so the invitation is to really to think about how do you how do you continue to be committed to purposeful work in the world while also being equally committed to attending to your own being. And, and for me, a big breakthrough in all of that was looking at people who I really respected and admired who had accomplished extraordinary things. You look at the Mother Teresa's, the Nelson Mandela's, the, the people who were able to do things that seemed impossible. And I wonder how much of that great doing was a direct result of their attendance to their being. They were very much connected with kind of divine source, with higher inspiration that fueled, I think, much of what they were able to ac accomplish. 
So anyway, that's something I'm 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 playing with, and I, it certainly seems to resonate with the type of audience that would be attracted and readers of Conscious Company magazine. I suspect are the people who, uh, you know, again are probably giving everything they've got to the certain causes that matter, and the importance of stopping and and taking care of yourself along the way is just it's a uh, it's pretty essential. Mm, I had a I had. I don't know why I'm feeling compelled to tell this, but I had a little like savoring the the world moment this morning. I uh, I was getting up and, you know, I have my little morning routine and I kind of like get out of bed like a bullet and just immediately I do, I do a few little things. And then I like, if I'm inspired to work, I just sit down and start working. And this morning I heard, uh, we have a bunch of Canadian geese right outside our house. And um, I, I was, I just heard all this commotion going on outside. And I, so I went out into our little backyard area and there, the mother and father geese were calling their newly hatched little goslings to jump out of the tree. Mm-hmm. Um, and they jumped out of the tree and they landed on the sidewalk. And I was like, oh my God, they're hurt. And I sat there and watched the situation for like 25 minutes before diving into my work, which is, of course, a privilege that I have from for working from home and kind of setting my own schedule. And so totally acknowledging that. But I had this moment where... I really realized that I just wanted to sit there and savor the world and watch this beautiful situation unfold with these three little goslings. And as they were taking, I wanted to watch their first steps. And so I watched their first steps this morning. And I thought of you, I thought of your presentation of taking those 25 minutes this morning to actually savor the world before running back inside and jumping on my computer and doing all the things that I feel are necessary to save the world. And I, I always, I think about that you're, your talk all the time and just am so appreciative of that little insight that you gave to us. Well, thank you. That's wonderful feedback to hear. I love, I love that story too. And see, there's amazing things that happen around us all the time. If we would just practice the habit of noticing, you know, everything that's, that's, that's right there for the, for the, for our enjoyment, but we just have to slow down and take a minute to, to make time for it. That's great. Oh, um, so on kind of the personal side, I'm curious if you can talk to us a little bit about a life-changing moment that you've had on your journey. Well, the one that's kind of funny, <laughs> it's not funny, but it's, I remember when I was sitting at my desk, this was, you know, 15 years ago or something. It was a while back. And I was, again, I was doing using my strengths. I was definitely using my strengths. I was in the strategic planning role and I was working on some report and it was a report that was, I was definitely not that into writing. It was, you know, testing radio copy or something in focus groups and writing a report on what, you know, which copy set people liked more or something like that. But anyway, I remember it was, it was, um, probably around four in the afternoon. And I, I just looked down on my keyboard and there was drip, 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 water, water, drip, drip all over my keyboard. And I looked up at the ceiling and I thought, what? The the ceiling must be leaking. Like I'm on the first floor. There's five floors above me. That's so weird. Like, but I don't see any water. I kept typing drip, 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 drip. And I, I literally thought that there was a leak in the roof above me until I realized I was just crying. I was just sitting there <laughs> at my computer and I wasn't even aware of it. It was like my soul was just crying because I, I was not doing the work that I 
need that my soul wanted me to be doing in the world. It was, and that's not an indictment on the, the, the work that I, that work needed to be done. There's other people that that might be very joyful work to do. But for me, it was uh, a, a wonderful wake up call. I remember when I figured out that it was me, <laughs> that sounds so silly, but when I figured out it was me, I just started laughing. I'm like, okay, I'm paying attention. I'm paying attention. What is it that I need to be using my talents in, uh, for in the world? I do not think this is it. And so that actually, um, um, that was probably the catalyst for, for the work that went on to become the book that, that went on to become the purpose Institute. So sometimes those life-changing moments, I mean, that is a little small moment, but it was very impactful in my life to say, and again, it kind of speaks to this doing and being, I was so busy just getting stuff done that I wasn't attending to what my, how I was actually feeling and experiencing the work on the inside. So it, the tears were just some, something in me letting me know that this was not, this path was not okay for me. And I needed to be paying attention to the places where I didn't feel like crying when I was writing a report. <laughs> 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 and let's move in that direction. So, you know, Raj uh, Sisodia, who's one of my absolute dearest best friends in the world. I just love that man. And he is writing a book on the healing organization. And a lot of his work looks at the silent suffering that goes on inside organizations. And now some of that silent suffering is the result of unconscious business practices that, that um, leave human beings feeling Un, you know, they're not treated with dignity and respect. And, and then some of the silent suffering is just life things that people are struggling with that they have to contend with while putting on a smile and going to work. And then there's a lot of silent suffering where people are just not living the life that they were meant to lead. And I think the, maybe they don't know the other options. They don't tune in to that pain like they should. But I can definitely advocate for, for paying attention to it and, and just, you don't even have to know what the next thing is. You just have to be, you just have to be aware that whatever situation you're in, if it's causing you pain, if it's causing you, um, you, you know, and then just start paying attention to where you actually find joy and just do 5% or more, more of that each day and see what, see what comes from that and really look into the things that bring you joy. Most of the time, your purpose is going to come from the, from the, what, what lights you up and what does the world need? Those two circles of the Venn are where the juice is. You also, you got to have the chops to back it up with, with strings, <laughs> but, um, you can always learn strengths. I mean, I say that to an extent. You, you kind of should have a sense of what you're good at. But anyway, so that's I would say that's the life changing moment is just paying attention to 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 those moments that are trying to tell you that you need some you're ready for something different and and move in that direction. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that. I uh, as, assuming it doesn't get cut. Uh, there is actually a story about conscious company media in Raj's new book about the healing organization. So uh, fingers crossed that we're still included, but there's a, a good little anecdote from our story as an organization, which is pretty great. Oh, great. Great. 
Um, so I have to ask, uh, as a co-founder and chief purposeologist, and uh, with all the things you do, is there anything in your role right now that you're actually struggling with, or any? You know, you kind of mentioned this presentation that you've been doing over the last year. Um, is that the main source of struggle for you right now, or is there anything else that you're struggling with? Honestly, Megan, I think it goes back to the the doing and being concept. Like when I you're probably similar to me in that we both absolutely love what we do and feel the need to do it. (laughs) That the world needs what we're doing. And so my constant um, work and slash struggle is how do I balance the doing and the being? Because when my, and I know when I'm at, I know for me, I know that when my being is totally depleted, it robs me of the joy of my work. I, I'm doing work that I should love, but but when I start feeling resentful and bitter and weary to the bone, like that's my that's my like, okay, Haley, it's time for you to to take the your foot off the gas a little bit and get to a silent retreat or get to you know get to some place where I can you know I joked about it doesn't always have to be some dramatic break from what you're doing if I can go jump on my trampoline for 30 minutes and listen to Steve Wonder that does enormous <laughs> enormous uh, restorative power for 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 getting getting myself right again so um that's just an ongoing struggle I think I think it's something that as as purposeful people you have to be continually mindful of what is my level of being? Because if your level of being is too depleted and low, it affects how you show up. I think it affects the fruits of your work. It affects what you you can actually see needs to be done. So it's it's not just a let me go let me go restore myself for my like there's a there's a dance between the two that as I take care of my being, I'm better able to see what needs doing. Things will be drawn to me. Opportunities will be drawn to me as a result of having a higher level of being that are probably going to be of more service to the world than the ones that I could have just willed myself into. So, um, yeah, that's just the ongoing struggle for me, I think. Perfect. And you, and you just actually mentioned two, uh, one was, you know, meditation retreat. The other was jumping on the trampoline, listening to Stevie wonder. Um, but are there kind of consistent practices that you have that serve that nurturing of your being or your own personal sustainability? I wish I could give you a really fantastic <laughs> answer about how disciplined I am and how I'm one of those people that gets up at five and does readings and meditates. And I'm just not one of those people. I, I <laughs> would like to be. <laughs> For me, my the thing that keeps me sane, uh, that brings me um, balance is just committed time with my twin daughters, India and Ziggy. They are, well, you'll see, you're about to, you're about to have your own little awesome being, but um, they're just, kids are the best. Kids just give you all kinds of great uh, perspective and energy. And um, that's my, that's my most consistent practice is committed time with my girls on a daily basis. Mm, I love it. All right. uh, Final question. What is giving you hope for the future? Well, I'm just going to keep rolling with this. Indy and Ziggy, my daughters, are giving me hope for the future. You know what's so funny? I love I love all the work that you do around diversity and inclusion and making sure we all rise together. When I try to give my daughters little um, motivational talks about how they're girls and they can do anything, they look at me like I'm crazy. They're like, yeah, mom, we know. Like, we got it. Like, 
I'm sorry that you had to struggle through that, but um, we, we know. So, <laughs> and, uh, and it's awesome just to see their confidence, to see their like um, resolute determination to fix. They're they're constantly coming home telling me about well. We just learned another way that y'all have messed up the planet for us. You left a lot of work to do, but they're like totally determined to roll up their sleeves and figure out and be a part of the solutions. And uh, so it's, I think my daughters give me hope for the future. A huge thanks this week goes out to Haley Rushing and the whole team at the Purpose Institute, as well as our incredible production team at StoryPop Media and the whole Conscious Company Media team. If you like what you're hearing, we'd be so grateful if you tell a friend about the show. And be sure to subscribe to get the latest episode. Thanks so much for listening. A StoryPop Media Production.